I suspect that many of you have heard a prayer called the serenity prayer. It's a prayer that's supposed to bring people freedom from anxiety and peace of mind. It goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. How many of you have ever heard of that prayer? It's a really helpful prayer. But have you heard of this prayer? It's called the senility prayer for seniors. It goes like this. God, grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked, the good fortune to run into the ones I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. Or how about the teenager's prayer? Now I lay me down to rest and hope to pass tomorrow's test. If I should die before I wake, that's one less test I'll have to take. And then there's the parent's prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my sanity to keep. For if some peace I do not find... I'm pretty sure I'll lose my mind. Today we're continuing our study of another prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And during the last two weeks, we've seen that one of the primary reasons that Jesus lived such an extraordinary life is because he was a man who knew how to pray. And because of how he prayed, his life was filled with joy, with peace, with strength, with courage. Jesus had this amazing connection with his Father in heaven. And when Jesus prayed, stuff happened. And so the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Now, our purpose in studying the Lord's Prayer is very simple. We want to become better prayers. We want to take our prayer life, both as individuals and as families and as a church family, to the next level. We want to see our lives transformed by the power of prayer. So let's do this. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to put the words of the Lord's Prayer on the screen. And let's pray this together, church, with our heads and with our hearts this morning. Are you ready? Let's not just say these words. Let's actually pray these words this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Please have a seat. Twice in the Lord's Prayer, we find this word, kingdom. And today we're going to focus on this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now take a look at your outline. It says, what is the kingdom of God? And here's the answer. The kingdom of God is the place where Jesus Christ rules as king. That's the definition of the kingdom. And when Jesus came to our world, his mission was to establish the kingdom of God. That was the main subject of his teaching. It was what his miracles were intended to prove, that the kingdom of God had actually come to earth. Now, for just a couple of minutes this morning, I want to do this. I want to try to explain this concept of the kingdom of God. Because if you really understand this, if you wrap your mind around this, it changes how you see everything in the world and everything in your life. Now, here's the, the big idea. Jesus says that when he comes to our world, it's as if the future is breaking into the present. Are you with me here? This is really important. If you understand this concept, it will help you understand why life can be so hard and 
why we can live with hope in a world that is so broken. So this is what Jesus says about the kingdom. He says, a time is coming and now is. Is coming refers to the future, now is refers to right now. And so what Jesus is saying is that when he comes to earth, the kingdom of heaven, which exists in the future, is now being demonstrated on earth. And let me give you an example. When the kingdom of God is fully present, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, kind of the end of the story, does anybody get sick in that kingdom of God, that fully realized kingdom? Well, no. And so when Jesus heals people, when he opens the eyes of a blind man, when he heals a cripple, when, when the deaf hear, what he's showing is this. That's what life is like in the kingdom of God because in the future, nobody is sick. Nobody is disabled. Nobody is crippled or blind. And so this future kingdom of God has now broken into the present. And that's what we read in the gospel story. Or how about this? In the future kingdom of God, when the kingdom is fully realized, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, does anybody die? What's the answer, church? Well, no, absolutely not. Death is not present in the future kingdom of God. So, when you read the story in, in John 11 about Jesus' friend Lazarus who dies, he's been dead for how long? Four days. And Jesus stands at the tomb and yells, hey, Lazarus, come out. And this dead man walks out of a, a tomb. What's being demonstrated there? The future kingdom of God. Because in the future, in the kingdom of God, when it's fully realized, does anybody die? No. Death is defeated. And so Jesus is showing that the future kingdom of God has broken into the present. Now here's the problem. When you look around you today, does anybody still get sick? How many of you have been sick in the last year? Do people still die? Well, yeah, so what's up with that? Well, here's the reality. When Jesus comes to our world, the kingdom of God is established, but it is not fully realized. As one author said, the kingdom has already come, but it's not yet what it shall someday be. Now, does that make sense to you, church? Because this is so important to really understand. And here's why. We live at a very unique point in history. Has Jesus already come to our world? Yes, we celebrate that at what holiday? Christmas. Jesus has come in Bethlehem, and he lives his life, and he goes home. Now, we know there's a big event that is still in the future. And what's that big event? The return of Christ. So we live in between these two pivotal points in history. The first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And in this period of history, God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. And that explains why we struggle so much in this world. And yet it also explains why there is hope. Now that leads naturally to this question. And I want you to take a take a look at this the question is this what would it look like if God's will was done on earth as it is in heaven what would happen if you woke up tomorrow morning and all of a sudden God's will is done perfectly on earth I mean what would that be like one of my favorite authors and pastors is John Ortberg and he delivered a message where he basically gave a number of observations about what the kingdom would look like if it were fully realized and how it would affect every dimension of our world for example the area of economics when the kingdom of God has fully come, nobody will ever go hungry again. You won't see these pictures of babies with their bloated bellies because there's a famine. There won't be any more famines. People will not struggle to make ends meet. No more poverty, no more debt. In the kingdom of God, all our needs are fully satisfied. And there's a, 
A statement about this is in the book of Amos. He's a prophet in the Old Testament, and he writes this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the one who plows will overtake the one who reaps, when new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. It's kind of an interesting picture, isn't it? Does that mean that there's going to be um, sangria and Merlot flowing from the Rocky Mountains? Probably not. But that is an indication that in the kingdom of God, all of our needs are completely met. There is this economic abundance. And then there's the area of politics, a really hot topic in our nation today. The Bible describes the kingdom of God saying this, nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. In the kingdom of God, when it fully is realized, there will be no more terrorists, no more suicide bombers, no more crime, no more hate, no more worries about personal safety. And you don't have to raise your hand, but I know that a lot of people right now are very concerned about their personal safety in this world. Do you realize in the kingdom of God, when it's fully realized, you won't have any worries about personal safety. We won't live in gated communities. There won't be any people to keep out. Do you realize that in the kingdom of God, you will not need to have a concealed weapon permit. You won't need a concealed weapon because you are completely safe in God's kingdom. Or how about this? How about the arts? There's a description of heaven in the Bible, and it says that the streets in heaven are paved with what? With gold. And it says the, the building in heaven has all these beautiful um, stones like sapphires and emeralds and rubies and all this, this beauty. And what is that about? Well, what's being described is a place where our, our thirst for beauty is finally satisfied. Because that happens in the kingdom of God. And what about health? What about, what about fitness? Did you know <clears throat> that in the kingdom of God, the teenage girls will look in the mirror and say, you know what? I like the way I look. I look just right. And that will be the case because in the kingdom of God, we will see the, the beauty that God has designed in us, people made in his image. And what about our relationships? Well, in the kingdom of God, our relationships will be entirely transformed. In Luke chapter one, it says, and he, that is God, will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Now think about that. No more child abuse, no more neglect, no more unwanted or unloved kids. Our family relationships will be totally changed. And why is that the case? Because God says that he's gonna transform our what? Our heart. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, it says that God's gonna give us a new heart, that he's gonna take his law and write it in our heart. And that's amazing when you think about it. We'll have a heart that completely obeys and honors God. In the kingdom of God, do you realize you'll never say something that you will later regret? Isn't that amazing? In the kingdom of God, you'll never do anything that you feel guilty about or ashamed of? Now, that's pretty incredible, but I think one of the most beautiful descriptions of the kingdom of God is found in the last book, the book of Revelation, and it says this, listen to these words. And I heard a loud voice saying, now the dwelling place of God is with men and women and he will live with them. They will be his people and he will be their God. Now think about these words. Think about the reality of these words. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now how many of you would sign up to live in a world like that? I think we all would. And this morning, you know, whether you're a skeptic or, or maybe just a realist, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, right. 
Is it even possible that there could ever be that kind of world? Or is it just some kind of pipe dream? Well, friends, I want you to know this. Jesus Christ believed in that kind of world. In fact, it was central to his message because over and over again, he said these words, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And Jesus was telling people, look, there is a kingdom that is different from the world. And in this kingdom, as we sang this morning, broken lives are made new. And talk about being a vision caster. When Jesus invited people into his kingdom, when people got a glimpse of what life could be life by surrendering their heart and their life to the king, they would do anything to be a part of the kingdom. They sold their possessions, they left their careers. People were willing to live and to die for the kingdom of God. And here's the thing, they did it with unbelievable joy. And friends, I want you to realize this morning, if you're a believer, you're a part of the kingdom of God. And if you've never made that decision to trust Jesus Christ, this kingdom of God is available right here, right now, to everybody who embraces Christ as king. Now, there are a lot of ways that people have tried to bring about the kingdom of God. In fact, there's a question on your outline. How can we bring about the establishment or the fulfillment of God's kingdom on earth? And people have tried to do this through welfare programs and economic plans and political reforms. And some people say this, you know, if we can just get the right person in the White House, that'll change everything. But as one person wrote, so far the kingdom of God has not arrived on Air Force One and I don't think it's gonna happen. So how will it happen? Well, Jesus told us that one of the most important ways that we can bring about this kingdom of God is to do what? It's a four-letter word, starts with the letter P, ends with a Y. Pray. It's not the only thing we can do, but it's a foundational thing we can do to bring about the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. So where do we start? With ourselves. Look at your outline. It says, pray that God's will is done in your life. Pray that God's will is done in your life. And this basically involves two things. First of all, I must accept God's plan. I must accept God's plan. Jesus accepted God's plan for his life. And we know that because of the words that Jesus said before he carried out that plan and went to the cross. He said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will, not mine. Jesus was willing to accept his Father's will for his life. Now, let me ask you this. Has your life always worked out the way you had planned? Probably you would say what? Well, absolutely not. That's a ridiculous question. I'll tell you what. God has messed up my plans many times. He continues to do that. In fact, it was so funny. At a first service, I'm up here speaking, and the fire alarm goes off. We lose all the power, and that wasn't my plan. But it was God's plan. And see, God's in charge. And it's so important to remember that. I was reading a story about this frog. And there was this frog who planned on becoming a prince one day. And he believed that it was his destiny. And just to confirm this, he went to this fortune teller. And the fortune teller gazes into her crystal ball and says, Oh, oh, I see something. You're going to meet a beautiful young woman. And the frog says, Yes, I knew it. I'm going to be a prince just like I planned. The fortune teller continued. From the moment she sets eyes on you, she will have an insatiable desire to know all about you. She will be compelled to get close to you. You will fascinate her. And the frog got really excited and said, where is this going to happen? At a singles club? And the 
fortune teller said no in a biology classroom. <laughs> See, sometimes things don't work out exactly the way you planned. And, and friends, listen, we can use up a lot of emotional energy being frustrated and anxious and angry when our plans don't work out. Because the reality is this, that many of the things that happened to you, you didn't choose, and you can't control, and you can't change. So what do you do? Instead of being frustrated and anxious and angry, you can accept God's plan for your life. Because I will tell you this, in this broken, messed up world, God's will is not being done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we know this. But we also know this, that because God is sovereign, because God is in control, he can take everything, and I mean the good, the bad, the funny, the ugly, every single thing that happens in the life of his children and work it together for our good and for his glory. And so the question is, well, how can I really accept God's plan for my life? And here's the bottom line. You have to trust God. But that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Because here's the deal. When life is really hard, you know what we often want from God? We want an explanation. We want to know why. Why, God? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to this person that I love? Why now? Now think about this. Ever take a test in school? Ever take a test? You know how that works? The teacher gives you the test and you start working on the test. What does the teacher do? Remember when I was a kid, the teacher would go to the back of the room and sit at his or her desk and they never said a word. It was completely silent in the classroom. And I was thinking about the fact that God often tests our faith. And when he gives us this test, you know what he often does? He is silent. Have you ever experienced that? Sometimes even in the middle of a test, it seems like God is far away. And yet, God does not want us to be silent. He wants us to pray. And when life is really hard, when, you're, when your heart is broken, you can say, God, listen, I, I don't like this. God, I hate this. I don't know what's happening. I don't know where you're taking me or where I'm going to end up, but God, I do know this. I'm going to accept your plan and your purpose for my life. And, and church, you know what happens when you actually can do that? It brings you this incredible sense of peace. It really does. And one of the things that keeps us from experiencing that peace is when we still say, but God, I want to know why. God, give me an explanation. And, and I can tell you this, on the basis of the Bible, especially the book of Job, but also from personal experience and talking to so many people, that if you think God is going to give you an explanation, you're setting yourself up for some serious disappointment. And here's why. Number one, God doesn't owe us an explanation. He's God and we're not. And number two, and I really believe this, if God were to give us a detailed explanation, we probably couldn't understand it. And number three is this, explanations don't really comfort our hearts. Now think about this. Some of you have been through some some really painful experiences. And over time, you've either done some reading or been through some counseling, and you now understand with your head anyway some of the things that have happened to you and some of the things you've experienced. Does that intellectual understanding really bring comfort to your heart? Does it really ease the pain? And the answer is, well, no. And here's what I believe that, that God is doing. When, when we're going through a really tough time, you know, God doesn't just come alongside us and say, hey, let me explain this to you. But what God does do is he comes alongside and says, I'm here for you. See, God doesn't offer explanations. He offers us himself because that's what we need. 
When our heart is hurting, we need to know that God cares, that God is with us, that God is for us, that God will never leave us or forsake us. And that comes from praying, God, I'm going to accept your plan for my life. But there's another thing that we need to pray too, and this is on your outline. I must surrender to God's control. Accept his plan and surrender to his control. Here are a couple of verses that point that out from the Old Testament. Surrender yourself to the Lord and wait patiently for him. And here's another verse, same idea. Give yourselves to God. Surrender your whole being to him to be used for righteous purposes. And I think that we have this aversion to the word surrender because it's a word we don't like. Isn't that true? To surrender means that you've been defeated. It means you have lost. And how many of you want to be a loser? Nobody wants to be a loser. What do we want to be? Church, what do we want to be? Winners, exactly. But here's the, the paradox in following Jesus Christ. It's in surrendering your life to him that you become a winner. It's in surrendering your life to Jesus and embracing his purpose and his plan that you're ushered into this kingdom of God where there is real joy and peace and purpose and freedom. Now let me ask you this. It's a really easy question. How much of your life does God want you to surrender to him? Yeah. We just sang about it, right? 50% to Jesus, I surrender. Oh, 75. Oh, Lord, I'm going 80% today. What does God say? Surrender all of your heart, all of your life to me. And, you know, I think about this. What would it look like if we really did that? Would that be incredible? You know, we had our men's breakfast yesterday, and we were talking about marriage. And I'm glad that's a safe place because there were some interesting comments made in that room yesterday, and they will stay there. But marriage is, is a challenge. And we were talking about how guys have this God-given responsibility. This is from Ephesians 5.25, where the scripture says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We have a responsibility to love our wives the way that Christ loves the church. That's God's will. What would happen if we really did that? You know, day in and day out. What would happen, flip side, if wives loved their husbands and respected their husbands the way the scripture describes, it would revolutionize our marriages, wouldn't it? Or how about this? What about family dynamics? One of the things that I see in families, and this is true in my family, it's true in your family, it's just true in families. One of the things that happens is that sometimes we hurt each other. Isn't that true? Sometimes it's unintentional, sometimes it's intentional. And one of the biggest issues in families is forgiveness. Now what would happen if people in families actually would forgive each other. I mean, really forgive each other. Is that God's will? Yeah, absolutely. Or what about this, finances? What if all of us completely embraced God's will for our finances? To use the, uh, the poker metaphor, what if we went all in? It would change everything. Because there are so many principles in Scripture about finances, about how to get out of debt, about tithing, about being generous, being joyful as you give, if we followed God's will, it would change so much in our lives and in our worlds. And so what we need to do is pray that God's will is done where? In our lives. But it can't stop there. Look at your outline. Pray that God's will is done in the lives of the people in your relational world. And it's so interesting because the Apostle Paul prays specifically for other people to know God's will and do God's will. Look at this verse. It says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, We've not stopped praying for you and asking God, note this, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now listen, one of the great things about praying for other people is that you don't have to ask for their permission. Did you know that? Did you know that I pray for you and I don't even ask if I can? 
Prayer is powerful. And I was sharing a story just real briefly in, in first service because I know that many of you, week after week, when we ask you to write on the prayer request, there are people in your family that you're praying for and you've been praying for them for a long, long time. And you've been praying that they would come to know Jesus. And I was sharing a story about a, a good friend of mine and he would pray for my family and I would pray for his family. And he'd been praying for his brother. I'd been praying for his brother to become a believer. He prayed for 50 years. Can you imagine that? 50 years. And he called me one day and said, Dudley, guess what? My brother decided to follow Jesus last night. Can you imagine any greater joy? That's why Jesus said, listen, when you're praying, you keep praying and you don't give up because here's the deal. You don't know when God's going to answer and you don't know how God's going to answer. So keep praying, church, that God's will is done in the lives of the people that God brings into your life. And then here's the third thing. Pray that God's will is done in the church. Pray that God's will is done in the church. This is what Jesus said. I will build my church. What a bold statement. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because there are kingdoms in conflict, but the kingdom of God is going to win. There was a, a sign on this van that was parked in a church parking lot, and it said this, Where will you spend eternity? Most people don't decide until the 11th hour. Our church service begins at 1030. I'm working on a project right now about the state of the church in America. And I've been looking through all these numbers and all these statistics. And it's really sobering when you think about what's happening. Did you know that America right now is the third largest unchurched nation in the world? That's a state of unbelief in America. And that on any given weekend, on any given Sunday, about 70 churches in America have their last worship service, actually close. And people look at those numbers and they think, man, the church is in serious trouble. The church is going to fail. And, and I think to myself, no, it's not. Why? Here's why. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and friends, listen, we need to pray for the church in North America, the church around the world. We need to pray for Boynton Beach Community Church. And here's the deal. God has made his will so clear for the church. He really has. Because God's will is for the church to be a place where people reach out to their friends and their neighbors and say, hey, look, we want to help you find your way back to God. The church is supposed to be a place where, where God is worshipped and loved and adored above all else. The church is supposed to be a family where people can be loved and accepted. That's God's will. And it's God's will for the church to be a place where lives can be transformed. Where the power of the gospel repairs relationships and breaks addictions. God's will for the church, listen up missions team, God's will for the church is for us to discover our gifts and go and serve other people. And that's what you just did. You went to Wayne County, New York. And you made the invisible kingdom of God visible through your words and through your actions. That is God's will and God is pleased. And I will tell you this, and you've heard me say this many times. It is my core conviction. It is the center out of which I live that the local church is the hope of the world because of its people and because of its message. And friends, we need to pray for the church. We need to pray for our church. Listen, God has given us incredible opportunity. Do you see where God's placed us? Between this hospital and this charter school, we're going to have a preschool starting in the fall in just a, a few weeks. God has given us enormous opportunity, but we need to pray. And we need to pray that this church will be faithful to the scriptures, 
that the gospel will always be preached here, that this will be a grace place until the very day that Jesus returns. And so as your pastor, please pray for God's will to be done at Boynton Beach Community Church. And finally, this is the last thing, pray that God's will is done in America and in all the nations of the world. Now, I don't know how much you follow the world of politics or how informed you are about the upcoming election, but I do know this, America's in trouble. Serious trouble. And I remember getting an email from Franklin Graham. It was a number of weeks ago. And he said, listen, I am urging Christians all over America to get together and pray before the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention. And I just want to urge you, pray that God's will is done in America as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. And not only that, this may be something you've never done before, but I want to encourage you to do this. This could take your prayer life to a, to a whole new level. Pray for the nations of the world. God is at work around the world. And one way to do that, there's a website. It's called operationworld.org. Operationworld.org. It has a daily prayer calendar. And yesterday, the, the prayer was for South Korea. Today, it's for Kuwait. And you can just go online and get some information about those countries and pray for them. And you can do this. You can pray for persecuted Christians around the world. Go to persecution.com. Persecution.com. That's the website for Voice of the Martyrs. And you can learn about the persecution that's taking place around this world and pray specifically for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And church, realize this, that someday there's only going to be one kingdom. There won't be any more United States of America or Japan or China or Germany or anything else. And we know that from this verse that's in the book of Revelation. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And I think this verse brings up arguably the most important question you will ever answer. Are you a citizen of God's kingdom? Or to say it differently, do you know the king? Because the story of your life, the story of my life is connected to the life of Jesus Christ, the king. Because the story in the book is about a king who leaves his home in heaven and comes to this world. And he comes because his people are in serious trouble. The Bible says that, that we've broken God's law, that we haven't followed his command to love him and to love each other. It says that we are under this consequence of our sin, which is to die and to be separated from God forever. And that's why Jesus comes. That's why he comes as a king. And realize this, that Jesus is a righteous king. He lives a perfect life, the life we could never live. And Jesus is a suffering king because he's willing to, to go to a cross and to lay down his life for us. And God says, I'll tell you what, I will put your sins on Jesus and punish him in your place if you will have faith in him, if you will believe that he is your savior and that he is my son. And Jesus is not just a righteous king. He's not just a suffering king. He is a victorious king. Because when they take his lifeless body down from the cross, he rises from the dead three days later. And he says, look, I'm inviting you into my kingdom. This is a place where there is joy and peace and freedom and hope because I'm coming back. And friends, someday that will be a reality. But what about this day? With all of its ups and downs, with all of its challenges and disappointments, how do we live in a world where the kingdom of God has already come, but it isn't yet fully realized? How do we live in that world? And I would say the answer is found in a story in Luke's gospel. It's one of my favorite stories. Just imagine the scene. Here's Jesus. He's sitting in a boat. 
And he's teaching people that are up on the shore. And he finishes teaching, and then he says to the owner of the boat, Peter, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. Now, I can't even imagine the look that Peter gave Jesus because Peter is a professional fisherman. And he's been fishing all night long. He hasn't caught a single thing. And he's probably thinking, you know, Jesus, you're, you're a really good preacher, but you don't know anything about fishing. And then Peter makes a dramatic statement. He says, Master, even though we've fished all night and haven't caught a single thing, I will let down the nets because you say so. Because you say so, I will obey you. And friends, I think in those six words, in fact, you could write down those letters, B-Y-S-S-I-W, because you say so, I will. Those six words describe what it means to be a kingdom citizen. Because if you're a follower of the king, you trust the king even when you don't understand or even when you disagree with the king. When you're a kingdom citizen, you obey the king, and that's exactly what Peter does. And that's how we're supposed to pray. We're, we're supposed to say, hey, Jesus, look, I've been working on this marriage for so long, and Lord, right now I feel like quitting. I feel like giving up. But I won't. I won't. I'll keep fighting for this marriage because you say so. I will keep on trying. Or, or maybe you're somebody who's battling an addiction, and it feels like you're losing that battle, and you just want to throw in the towel you want to quit fighting, but you say, Lord, I'll keep on fighting. Because you say so, I will. Or maybe your heart is broken because somebody's really hurt you. And you pray and you say, God, you saw what they did. You know how I just don't feel like forgiving them. But because you say so, God, I will. And what happens in Peter's story? Well, when Peter decides to obey Jesus, God honors him. He throws his net into the water. What happens? He catches more fish than he can carry. And I will tell you this, God honors those who honor him. And so this week, this week, every time you come into a, a situation and you know, you know what God wants you to do, remember those six words that can change your life. Lord, because you say so, I will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that, that changes us, that changes everything. Father, I pray this morning for the person who maybe for the very first time is understanding that they need you. Understanding that they're not really a citizen of the kingdom, that they don't know the king. And Father, I pray that even now, at this very moment, if they're feeling that tug on their heart from your Holy Spirit, that they would simply say, Father, you know me. You know that I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, that I'm I've sinned. I've, I've done things that are wrong. And I need your forgiveness. I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me to pay for my sins and that he came back to life. And God, I want to follow him. I don't understand how all this stuff works, but I just want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender to him. And God, every time somebody prays that prayer, you honor that prayer. You bring them into your kingdom, into your family. And Father, today as we celebrate communion, I pray with all my heart that for those of us who know Jesus, that you would strengthen us, Lord, that you would revive our hearts, renew our passion to live as, as kingdom citizens, making a difference in this world. God, draw near to us now as we remember the great sacrifice of Jesus, and we pray in his name, amen.